This is Archive Atlanta, Episode 60, The Candler Building, Part 2. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey guys, happy Friday. Two weeks ago, I released my first interview episode all about the Candler Building, which has just recently opened as the Candler Hotel. We talked about the Candler family who built it and some really, really cool stories that took place within those walls. If you have not listened to that episode, you should go back and do that now. Our recording with Sarah Butler was about three times as long as what you heard. So I took out a few shorter stories that were my favorite and released them exclusively to my Patreon contributors. And then I saved our walk in and outside the building to share at a later date. This is that date. This week, you get to hear the details as we start off outside the hotel, discussing the architectural features, the restaurant, the bank, and then we make our way inside to learn about the ornate and beautifully restored interiors. Whether you're a guest of the Keller Hotel and you want to play this as you walk around, or you're walking around outside, maybe you're a student at Georgia State, um, or just maybe even looking at some of the photos that have been posting on social media, I want everybody to understand how special this building is to the city and its legacy and its history. This was the site of a Methodist church. Some people speculate that one of the reasons he picked it is because he was a devout Methodist, and so for him, this was an important piece of land. I tend to think that when it came to real estate, the Candlers were pretty cynical about the value of land. It would tear anything down and put anything up. So here's the cornerstone. George Murphy architect. Now, and it's really interesting because the employee here was mentioning that there's the other George, right? George Stewart was his name. His name isn't on this stone. This was placed early in the project, too. He was on the project even that early, they didn't put his name on it. It may have been that, yes, he was an assistant, sure, he may have done a lot of work, but they weren't going to give him credit. Any of us have ever worked production know what that's like. (laughs) So, So it's easily missed because of the lamp hanging in front of it, but if you step to the side, there's the Candler coat of arms. You see it? And it does say, you can see it says Mortem underneath, which of course is part of their Ad Mortem Fidelis, Faithful Until Death. All of this is original. The, the, the brass work, you could see there's that kind of water dragon kind of symbol there in the, in the light fixture there. And we can walk around. Here's the bank, right? Directly below the bank is where the original restaurant was. Of course, the current restaurant's in the bank, the floor below. Now, we know directly below the bank is the, the vault, the actual vault itself. So below that, so indeed in the basement, was where the original restaurant was. So the restaurant was serviced by a company called Silverman Catering Company. It was operated by J. Lee Barnes. And if you dig into Atlanta history, you may run into the name J. Lee Barnes. He was a a hotel man. He owned a bunch of the real famous hotels that were around here. But he was also a really close friend of the Candlers. He apparently he was great at barbecue. (laughs) They had a barbecue out at the Atlanta Speedway. He ran it. Everybody came. The police chief, Cap Joyner, he, he participated as well. It was a big deal. They were all in the Candler inner circle. They announced it. They said that that the restaurant was a paradise for epicures and the beautiful Candler restaurant. Popular prices, perfect service. It was all marble, above the marble wainscoting. It was like yellow on the walls. There were columns. They had two sections of the dining room. One, men and women were permitted to, to have to dine. And then there was a gentleman's only lunch counter. 
Uh, there was a lot about how all of the, the furnishings in the kitchen were up off the floor so they could flood it and keep it hygienic, that the refrigerating devices could keep everything at sub-zero temperatures, keep everything fresh. The columns in the restaurant all hit, all, all hit an air circulation system that would keep the air circulating through the basement so it would never settle. That was the whole thing is they never wanted the air to settle. They just called it the Candler Restaurant. You can find advertisements for the Candler Restaurant. I mean, if he could put his name on it, he was putting his name on it. We're really kind of too close to see, but you can see that there are busts and figures here right. too as well. We've got Constitution, Justice. Uh, again, it's one of those things where you're not gonna look at these and, and weave together a story of what mattered to Asa Senior. What mattered is that these were important concepts and these were important people, not that any of these individuals held any sp specific significance to him. He was creating a monument and whatever was monumental needed to go on it. Ironically, he was a rather small man. Uh, the interior was, per was decorated in greens, reds, blues, yellows, dozens of other tints throughout. And the quote was, one can look down a room center of a full floor suite of the Candler building and see in striking effect every, every hue of the rainbow and every tint that paints the panoramic view. I mean, it must have been garish. Uh, certainly not the more tasteful color palette that we're seeing <laughs> throughout the hotel now. Um, he said the idea of decorating the building in so many shades was to give every tenant apartments uh, an apartment that would please his eye and be congenial to his tastes. Apparently in order to be agreeable you just put all the colors and then no one can complain. Three million bricks provided by the South River Brick Company of Atlanta went into the building. They, there's a lot of information about their sophisticated locking system because they wanted to make sure. In fact, that came up in the trial with Cook and Hirsch that, you know, was the door locked from the inside or the outside? Could Cook have come in? Was she locked in? It, it, it all kind of came up because they were, they were very much, there's a, a lot of debate about whether or not the door was locked, indicating right. if he was locked, did you it want mean- want somebody to come in? Well, did, did it mean he really was up to something? Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the power plant here was equal in capacity. It was $25,000, again, in, in early 1900s dollars. It would have powered a city of about 25,000 people in population. It was, the, it was enough power running out of this thing. Um, there was coal used in here. Um, in fact, Asa Jr. at one point was running a side hustle of selling coal, trying to sell, sell people into bulk coal. In 1908, you can actually find advertisements throughout the newspaper of Asa Jr. while he's the leasing agent here running ads that are saying, coal, 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 buy up now ahead of the winter months because he ran kind of a side hustle out of the coal supply that was coming in here. All right, let's take a walk. Okay. Here we are on the second floor, right? Second floor? Yes. What is this, uh, lobby or something? This is just sort of the, the second floor. I don't know if they would call it an, an atrium. The Below us is the lobby and below that is the sub lobby. So we can see all three of those. And we should go down to the sub lobby because the Newell Post down there is my favorite. What's a Newell Post? So the Newell Post is the place on the stairwell where it takes a turn and there's a decorative, uh, maybe has a finial. It, it's, that, it's that kind of more substantial post at the turn or, or the termination of a stairwell. Most of the materials that you see in here and most of the craftsmanship was local to Georgia. It was really important. One of the things that, about the Candlers, um, in particular Asa Sr., was he was extraordinarily proud of Georgia. Um, he didn't like to travel when he did travel. He would say, just wish I was home. I don't, there's nothing anywhere else that I can't get in Georgia. Mm -hmm. You know, they were really behind. This is the Empire State of the South. We're just as good as New York. 
Um, there's a little bit of the, hey, you think you're better than me kind of thing going on with the Candlers, very much proving that we were just as good as anywhere else. Um, so when you look around here on the second floor, when you see this very gray striated sort of marble, this marble would have been from Blue Ridge. And when you go into the restaurant, that marble in there as well. So a lot of this interior marble that, that's sort of more high contrast was Blue Ridge. The very, very white marble came from uh, Tate Quarry up outside of Ball Ground. Uh, same marble was used on the Candler Mansion that's out on Ponce. Tate Marbles also used in Lincoln Memorial. Yes, it's extraordinarily fine quality marble that comes out of there, and there are a lot of memorials all over the country that use marble that comes out of that quarry. It was very important for Asa Candler that it was local, it was the best. Um, a lot of the, the you know, glass and the brass work, I mean, some of that did come from the outside, but he would pick companies that had a headquarters in Atlanta, the woodwork. I mean, there was no grand master plan. They, they just wanted to be fantastic. They wanted great craftsmen to come in and say, here's how elaborate I want it to be, and here's what it'll cost. And they would say, great, let's do it. And uh, so it kind of came together craftsman by craftsman. Okay, where are we headed? Uh, let's, head, let's go down the stairs here, and we can get a look at some of the, the sort of symbols and the busts. First, as we're coming down from this second floor, we come to his mother. This is Martha. Um, and of course the cherubs on either side that are sort of honoring her. I think it's, it's interesting that the building is here is intended to be a monument that would last centuries and so therefore it's his gift to Atlanta but it's also highly, highly personal with his shield, with his parents in the walls. It's both of everyone and specifically of him. So yeah, she's on this side and then his father is on the other side, Samuel. You can see that uh, each of the names here are, are listed underneath these busts. Ah, cool. Of course, the original chandeliers, the crystal chandeliers. Of course, the, the lion, the griffin here, the dragon brackets, all done in brass. There's brass throughout. A lot of it hand carved. All right, so this is the, the sub lobby, all of that original tile. So the baths were actually one floor even down from here. There's a little bit of confusion about where exactly everything was located, but all indications are in the actual basement is where the baths were. So this is my favorite Newell post. It's the water dragon diving. Look at how elaborate this is. It's all hand carved. But again, you can see that this is that striated marble here. You can see all the brass work above the elevators. All of that is original in the elevators, the wood paneling in the elevators with the lion's head and the ram's head, that's all original. So from here, beneath the stairs, you go down there, it's a, it's a very large basement, and there were workshops down there, the original telephone room was down there, and there's actually still the original wiring, the original patch board with the original plugs, exactly all down there. Um, and that's where they had all of the machinery. Uh, this building, one of the things that was really advertised about the building was that they they had massive infrastructure they, they claimed something like three million feet of, of copper wiring for all the electrical systems throughout and that there was a cooling system and so they used there's a there's a, a big write-up about the original restaurant that even though it's in the basement we kept, we keep the air cool and fresh we don't want it to become kind of swampy down here so they had these systems that would pump air all throughout to try to keep it cool and fresh and keep the air circulating they also wanted to make sure to to keep it light even though it was in the basement they had sidewalk lights and i have 
the information about the sidewalk, the actual prism lights that were set into the sidewalk to admit light down to these lower levels. Now I've been back to where you can actually see uh, where those are. The problem is they're a floor lower than you would think they would be. Standing in this subfloor, which, you know, we just came down from the lobby level, which is sidewalk level. Right now we're slightly below sidewalk level. So you would think here in the ceiling is where your lights would be. I've been out around where it leads down the perimeter. The lights are in the floor. How is the light getting from the sidewalk up there to the glass prisms in the floor here? I haven't figured that out yet. It is possible there were vaults, so there could have been grates, vents in the sidewalk that, let, that admitted light down a level. I don't have any pictures of peach, uh, of peach tree during that time to know whether that was the case. If you look at postcards from the time, it doesn't look like the street was ever raised. It looks like it's at the same level. That is something that if anybody knows anything about Peachtree Street, please get in touch with me, acesbriarcliff.com, use the contact form. I would love to solve the mystery of the sidewalk lights. People have asked me, so to your opinion of the Candlers, do you like them, were they actually good people? And I think the trouble is when you try to get to a, a kind of black and white depiction of a person's history, it, it's challenging. They did a lot of great things. They did a lot of not so great things. I think they netted out on the good side for the city. There are some things that not terribly progressive um, in their thinking in terms of civics. There's a part of me that feels like he, he built this as a monument to himself. And it feels a little odd that we're actually letting it fulfill an ego project. And at the same time, you're going, yeah, but he really did it right. Better love it while it's here because he did it right. This isn't, this isn't a McMansion. This is, and this isn't something that you expect to tear down in, in 20 years and then put up a parking deck. This is a beautiful piece of architecture. Yes, it was his ego project, but he did it right. So I think it does deserve to be admired and preserved. I hope everyone enjoyed that and learned something new. Thank you so much for listening to my podcast and sharing this with others. Um, the recent reviews and messages have made my heart nearly explode with love. I cannot wait to share all of the new topics that I'm working on. Next week is Thanksgiving here in the U.S. Uh, and I will be taking a much needed holiday break to be with my family. We'll be back here on December 6th with a new episode. I hope everyone has a great week and a great holiday. And I'll see you guys in December.